From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While so much of the recent discussion around the football program has been about the future and the massive staff Billy Napier is assembling, there was one more game for the 2021 Gators and the old guard to complete before fully entering the transition. On our final show before we turn the calendar, we'll be joined by FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss the Gasparilla Bowl, how Billy Napier's vast operation is expected to function the COVID spikes impact on both basketball programs, and John Madden's legacy in the PAT. Then, senior running back Damian Pierce stops by to reflect on his amazing career and the memories and impact made along the way. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, bowl games can be kind of these random tack-ons to the end of a season, and that maybe the team that you see all year isn't the team you see in a bowl game is a lot of times how it is. In this instance, I think it's fair to say that we saw kind of the same Florida that we've seen throughout the year and was largely the reason for the coaching change. So I guess it shouldn't have been a huge surprise the game played out the way that it did because we saw all of those things that have really plagued Florida all season long. Yeah, we did, Adam. Uh, the Gators certainly did not have an identity crisis in the Gasparilla Bowl. But they went out there, and really, I think it's been their identity since that Kentucky loss like, opened some eyes You know, with all the, the penalties up in Lexington and and then that just carried over throughout the season. And when a team gets stuck in that circle, whatever you want to call it, it's hard to get out of. Uh, I think six and seven sounds about right from what we saw from this team. Uh, again, against you at UCF, uh, talent-wise, I mean, Florida certainly matches up well with UCF. But UCF is by no means a juggernaut, but they made the plays when they were there to be made. And, I mean, I think you go back and look at – I think it really happened in the third quarter uh, when Malik Davis gave the Gators that 17-16 lead, and and they're hanging around. And then, you know, in the ensuing possession, you had a couple of of defensive penalties, the the 15-yard variety. Uh, You had some um, just bad plays. I mean, from there for the rest of the game, and UCF took the lead, and then they, they kept the lead and they added to it. And, you know, it was one of those uh, games that if Florida could have rallied and, and the way to win like they did against Florida State, uh, it would have been a nice way to, to really put a bow on what's been a, a very uh, inconsistent season, um, disappointing season, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but they weren't able to do that. So now it's just a perfect, really, prelude to the Billy Napier. I mean, the Billy Napier is here for a reason. He's here to to turn this program around that fell on hard times this year. He's got some work to do. I think we all saw that. I mean, that game meant a lot more to UCF than it did to UF. And I I don't really 
look at it as having major implications long term. Uh, maybe I'll be proven wrong in five years. I think it's a, it was a nice moment for UCF and their fan base, something that they deserve to, you know, hype up and brag about. But I think the most important thing for the Gators right now is is what is Billy Napier going to do and and how can he turn this program around and really reshift the culture. Uh, I think the, the Gators, they had a talent problem at some points in 2021, but I think as the season went on, I think you don't have to be a, an X and O expert to see that there were some culture issues uh, that were showing up on the field, and I'm sure off the field in some ways. And uh, that's just where the program is. It, like I said earlier, it was a disappointing season. But I think the good thing is, as you mentioned in your lead, Adam, the calendar is about ready to flip to 2022. <laughs> yeah, I know Gator fans are ready for that. Uh, I know Billy Napier, I'm sure, is ready to really get to work and and take advantage of the biggest opportunities had in his career. Yeah, Scott talked about culture, and I think one thing that can be reflected in culture, you know, is obviously winning, but winning uh, with talent. And I think by any measure, if you watch that game, UCF had the two best players on the field. Isaiah Bowser rushed 35 times for 155 yards, and that wide receiver, Ryan O'Keefe, had 251 yards of total offense, ran Ran right by the Florida uh, defense for that for the long bomb touchdown to put the game away. Um, in, in no universe should that be the case, and it was just out there for everyone to see. And but also to Scott's point, yes, UCF that, that was their Super Bowl, and you could sense that by the uh, atmosphere at the stadium. Um, I, I thought Florida's Florida fans turned out for sure. They split the bowl in half. Uh, they split the stadium in half with the. Florida fans and UCF fans uh, on each side, but uh, UCF UCF fans were, were were much louder walking in the stadium. They were much louder. They were much more excited to be there. Florida, you know, turned out because it was because it's their team. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, I, I mean, just looking at the numbers, UCF had 436 yards. They, they rushed for 288. Okay, that speaks to talent to me. I think Florida had less than 100 yards of offense in the second half. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of eyes, a lot of fingers, obviously pointed Emory Jones, but uh, he didn't have a whole lot of help uh, to the guys he was throwing to. Kamari Gamble's been pretty uh, reliable guy this season. I mean, he he dropped two passes he should have caught in the heat of the of of the SEC schedule. Maybe he makes those. I don't know. Maybe it's just a uh, one distraction after another, or whatever, or just a concentration that kind of thing. But. There was so much uncertainty going on. Players, you know, uh, I mean, when, when you talk about you have a quarterback and your so-called best receiver going into the season, Jacob Copeland, they're already in the transfer portal that, and they're already leaving. Jacob Copeland, within 12 hours or 24 hours of that game, had already announced he's going to Maryland yeah. uh, on, social, on social media. So where where is the focus? Um, where is the and, – and, and, and you know, I debate whether or not he should have even been in the game, but that's a question for the coaches and what have you. But to Scott's point and to your point, Adam, uh, I don't think the end of uh, – I don't think 2020, 2021 could come to a close fast enough, and um, it's time to start talking about uh, 2022 and beyond. And, and to that point, Chris, I know this is something you hit on a lot, especially uh, you know in-game on, on Twitter – um, you know, there's a lot of things you can address when it comes to talent, and that, that has to happen through recruiting. Um, one thing that, that you have to be able to do internally, and I think is a huge focus for this new staff, is discipline. 
and it, it manifests itself in a lot of ways, but specifically the penalties and just the you know the lack of focus at key moments. I think discipline, if I'm Billy Napier, that's almost where I have to start when I'm building my program because you can see that there's so many deficiencies that have developed in the last few years, especially in, in that regard. Well, there were four 15-yard penalties in the second half. And yeah. Scott referenced the two that were on the on, on the one drive where UCF took the lead for good. One of them was questionable, I would think. I think uh, one of the players claimed one of Florida's players uh, claimed to be spit on, so he threw a punch or, or threw a shove or and got ejected or what have you. That's not, a, but it doesn't matter. Uh, 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 that, that's that's been an ongoing issue uh, this season, and we go back to Billy Napier's uh, moment at the podium when on at his introductory press conference. And he used the word discipline a couple times. And in that, uh, and in that uh, moment, talking about we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And he, he mentioned one thing that, that kind of, you know, we're going to act alike and we're going to dress alike. Remember that, Scott? He said we're going to dress yep. alike. And, yep. I, and I think, I think earlier, earlier this year, there were some issues about, about how Florida looks when they're out on the field before the game. And, you know, they're all kind of scattershot in, in what they're doing. People say, well, who cares? Well, you know what? That's a detail. And details start at the top. And my reaction with that would be, okay, well, what is, what is Alabama doing? How are they dressed? How's Georgia mm-hmm. dressed? And, and I, think, I think it does matter. Um, and there, 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 there are ways you can do it and ways you can't. And once you start being lax in one place, chances are you're going to be lax elsewhere. And then things start falling through the cracks. And I'm just so tired of a guy catching a pass on third and eight, a nine yard pass and getting up and saluting or (laughs) putting his arms across or giving the first down sign or something because he did his job. And you know what? It wasn't just him who did his job. The quarterback completed the pass. The offensive line blocked for him. The running back might've chipped on a blitzing uh, linebacker. Just quit making the stuff about you. And that's a get off my lawn kind of thing, I think for a, for an old guy like myself, but I do think that it, uh, that it manifests itself in places other than in that particular moment. It's a, the culture is obviously what I'm saying, but it's a, it's a way of life, you know, and, and he's got to come in and throw down on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see if he does, he says he's going to, uh, I'm sure there's never been a, co- a coach, whether Mullen or Jim McElwain or, or, Will Muschamp that's come in and said we're going to be undisciplined. We're going to play soft. <laughs> yeah. We're going to we're, yeah. we're, we're you know we're you know we're we're, we're going to play passively. You know they all say what they're going to do. You know let's do it. You know I'm going to give Billy Napier the uh, the benefit of the doubt because uh, you know we're going to look. I, I I remember to this day in 1990 going to the first SEC media days. Adam, um, my first SEC media days, and I, I started covering Florida. That was my first year covering it was Steve Spurrier's first media days. And he's up there in a packed room and some guy from Alabama goes, coach, what makes you think that you can come into the SEC and succeed with no real background in, in, in track record and having succeeded? He goes, well, we succeeded at Duke. And I think uh, what we did at Duke is going to translate to what we're going to do here. What Billy Napier did at, at Louisiana um, is a nice, uh, uh, barometer from which to to base his track record. So, again, I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt for now. I wonder where that guy from Alabama is now. 
that's right. But, uh, that's right. You know, you know, having gone through this now a few times at Florida and seeing how this works, when I look at this shift, you're, you're, what Chris says, right? I mean, every coaching change, something was wrong usually for there to be a coaching change. And every coach comes in with their ideal and their vision of what the fixes are going to be. I look at Napier's situation, probably most terrible to the Meyer to uh, Muschamp regime, because I think if you still remember Urban Meyer, his, after that loss at Florida State, he says, you know, this is broken. We've got to fix it. And, of mm. course, he didn't, stay, he didn't stay around to fix it, but he was alluding to culture issue uh, because that's what had came into play, you know, when he took that break before the nine season or after the ninth season, things got lax and, and that, that filters down from the top to the bottom. Uh, and now Billy Napier has a program, I think that's very similar to the one that Will Muschamp uh, took over in terms of where they are in culture. Uh, and, you know, I can remember the, the thing that you guys were talking about just now about the dress. I remember when Jim McElwain came in, that was one of his big things. You remember, I remember how he made them all dress alike uh, to and from games and, and, you know, it paid dividends those first couple of years. They turned it around pretty fast under him, but they weren't there where they needed to be talent-wise. Uh, I think now they've got culture and talent issues, and and Napier probably faces as big of a challenge as any Florida head coach in recent – I mean, you know, I think you might could go back to Steve Spurrier. I mean, this might be the no. biggest cha- – Go. Don't think back, so? Back. This is the least talented Florida program since Charlie Pell took over. Yeah, well, that, Steve, yeah. Spurrier t- Steve Spurrier took, took over, over a, good team. A, a, a really talented team and said as much from the beginning. And so, uh, and cause, because if you recall that Emmett Smith recruiting class with Brad Culpepper and Huey Richardson and Godfrey Miles and Tim Polk and a bunch of those guys, I mean, they were the number one recruiting class in the country one year. So, I mean, he, yeah, he had, he, he had, he had talent from which to begin. Um, and, but, uh, when Charlie Pell took over, uh, or excuse me, Charlie Pell's first season, I guess they were 0-10 and one, and flipped it around pretty quickly, um, and and did it nefariously. Granted, granted, but 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 uh, but, but you know had to change coach. But Billy Napier's got got some bear cupboards, I think. Yeah, uh, as much bear cupboards that they've had here in 40 years. Yeah, and I don't I don't see them being at the 0-10 winning level like Charlie Pell's right. first team. Right, but right. I do I do see a, a big rebuilding year uh, in 2022 and. Uh, I think we're all going to have to just watch it with some patience and and understand unless he works some miracles in the transfer portal uh, that we don't know about yet. Uh, and I'm sure he'll get some players there, but I don't know if there anybody can turn it around where they are one year unless you get the you know what I went to see the Kurt Warner movie yesterday. Unless you have a Kurt Warner out there <laughs> who suddenly just comes in out of nowhere and changes everything. I don't know if there's many of those guys out there. Uh, so Billy Napier, what I'm saying is he's got some work to do. But I think Billy Napier knows that. He was at the game at Raymond James Stadium the other night. He watched the game. He saw everything we did, guys. Uh, so I'm sure in his meetings with his staff, he's talking about culture. He's talking about talent deficiencies. He's talking about cutting down uh, on those mistakes from lack of discipline. So uh, that's where it is. But, you know, that's that's why he's here and uh, – I'm just I'm looking forward to kind of the fresh start and seeing him how he builds this program because 
we're going to talk about. We we certainly see him building a staff, right, guys? Yeah. Before we talk about that staff, uh, one thing that just popped up to me when you were talking about you know the the importance of everybody dressing the same way. I remember uh, probably seven or eight years ago when I was still working with the softball team. Uh, I think we were on the road at Auburn. There was a team practice, and there was one player that wasn't wearing the right warm up shirt, and Tim Walton was very upset about it. And I remember asking him later. I said, "But Coach Walton, like." Why does that matter? And I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was something to the tune of everything matters. That whole idea of when you're super successful, it's all about the details. I think that plays into you know, exactly what we're talking about here in terms of just one element of building that culture uh, to get it back to where it, where it needs to be. Because obviously at the moment, it, it's not in a good place. So somewhere along the lines, Tim, Tim Walton dealt with that, whether it was as a player at Oklahoma. Right. And he saw how that it did work. Right. So that's, that's, he was some, at some point he was a part of, of a really, really good culture and, 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 you know, has, has obviously a process that in, into here and you know, good for him. That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, you've got to talk to ask Brian Shelton, how important culture is, you know, yeah. got, you know, the real, the really successful Florida coaches and they will sign off on that. I'm sure. Scott, you alluded to the, uh, the staff that Napier is assembling, um, and uh, I don't know if we have time to go through all of them because there's so many of them. But I, I think the question that, that I would have, and I think what, what a lot of fans are, are asking is, well, this, this army being assembled, how is this different than what came before? So, you know, there are a lot of these, you know, very unique titles we're hearing and a lot of people that are off the field support staff. Was there something like this under Dan Mullen? Is this kind of a new concept at Florida to be building this type of infrastructure? Yeah, a couple of things here, Adam. First of all, I think, you know, it, what's been different from a communication standpoint, Billy Napier's wanted to announce all these hires. Yeah. And, you know, some coaches – so when you look at the, the numbers right now, they're not truly different much from the past. They, I think they will be more people here when it's all said and done. Uh, it's not going to be like a double the size of Dan Mullen's staff or anything like that. But he has created new titles, uh, and it goes all back to the the details that we were just talking about. He's been around programs that they do this, and they he's seen it work. And and so a couple of points in his message has been he wants to make sure, first of all, the coaches in today's landscape of college athletics uh, – he wants to make sure they're not overworked and they're missing those details. So basically every coach on staff has an assistant. They're usually titled analyst or whatever. If you look at Alabama's directory online, I mean, you're going to see Nick Saban. You're going to see all the traditional coaches uh, that are on field. And you're going to see an analyst basically for every position and coach. And then you're going to see all these uh, recruiting personnel uh, members. And, and now there's NIL staff members there's mm. some titles we haven't seen before uh so i i think what's you know i saw a tweet earlier this week that made me laugh you know they had a picture of the arena and uh, <laughs> uh billy napier's staff meeting and it's right. a packed arena it, 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 was a, it, it was, looked like a rolling stones concert yeah. <laughs> it, did. it was funny it made me laugh and that's kind of the impression out there right now but what it is, they're announcing all these. I think that's a smart move by Billy Napier. I mean, he's trying to trying to keep the buzz around his program because right now, uh, where this program is, let's face it, that's where the buzz needs to be because that's what has Gator fans most exciting. It's about the future. It's about what's going to be different in 2022 and 
and beyond compared to what they saw in 2021. So that's a smart PR move. I think assigned to specific details where they're not being stretched into different areas and maybe areas that they're not experts at. So they're going to, they're going to be really hyper focused on their, on their task. And uh, that's just the way, that's the way it works today. I mean, used to, you had a head coach and 10 or 11 assistant coaches and those guys also did all the recruiting and those guys also coached the players on the roster. And they also did the meet and greets. Uh, now, you know, every coach has someone to help him with a lot of those details. And then uh, beyond those analysts, there's another group of people who specialize nothing in except in player evaluation, player development, high school players, college players. I'm sure they got some guy looking at almost nothing but the transfer portal. That's just the way of the world. And it is different from Florida uh, to some degree. I mean, they've been inching closer and closer to that. Uh, modern model, I think, for about the last three or four years. But I think they finally arrived there with Billy Napier, and I think Billy Napier made that clear to the administration that for him to take the job, they were going to have to get there. And Scott Strickland made that uh, commitment. I go back to the his time at the podium where he talked about balancing off the field, family and stuff, and to being able to do the job without having to kill yourself. And then I go back to Scott's point where he said, Every, all these guys with these titles are going to have uh, uh, a second person called a, an assistant, called an analyst or whatever. That person, frankly, Adam, is probably going to be doing the same job as that person who they're working behind. And that's the way they do it at Alabama. That's the way they do it at Georgia. And guess what happens when, when somebody who is really talented gets a better job and moves on? That person has been doing the second person has been doing that job and they move right up and they replace them with a second analyst with another analyst who's going to start doing that same job. It's the it's the business model now. It's the successful saving business model now. Um, Everyone is trying to replicate it. Um, It it helps to have the resources to do so. And I think I said last week, you know, we talked about him hiring the army. They have that Pentagon. Uh, sitting over there. I walked past it yesterday and it's getting closer and closer. Obviously it is just enormous. And uh, I don't know how they're going to fill all the space in there, but the way they're hiring people left and right, uh, uh, it, it won't surprise me that they'll be able to put all these people and, have, and fill all those office spaces. in there. It's like when you, you move into a new place and uh, you're thinking, Oh, I got so much space. What am I going to do with all this space? And then sure enough, it gets filled up and then you need more space anyway. So I, I have no doubt that they'll be able to do that part of it. Uh, but it will be cool to see how it gets filled out. And again, these announcements, I'm sure, uh, they're they're not over. The staff is continuing to grow. There's more on the field assistance yet to be announced. So this is uh, this machine is going to keep rolling, no doubt. Um, I want to turn our attention to basketball, and I thought this was going to be a big focus of our of our discussion this week with uh, both men and women entering SEC play. Um, but uh, as we know from just everywhere in the world right now. COVID is back uh, in a very big way, and both the men and women were, were canceled uh, with their opening SEC road trips. So, Chris, I guess not, not a lot has changed uh, since they played Stony Brook, but now they have to wait a little bit longer before they get out and, and start attacking the SEC. Yeah, they were supposed to play uh, Ole Miss Wednesday night, and uh, guys, and, and this, I believe, will start happening. Maybe we're hearing about it here at Florida, but I think we're going to hear about a lot more of these these kids went home for Christmas and they're going to come back. And they're going to come back sick. If you look at some of these, just turn on CNN and look in the look at the uh, the the graphic in the corner about the number of cases going on. I, I just saw the story. Uh, uh, New York is is like 
they're going like to like 20% positive or something like that. And, 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 you know, these 20% increases every day in ter- terms of their positivity cases or whatever, um, thousands and thousands. And, um, without getting into specifics, uh, uh, the rules say that if you don't have enough scholarship players and the number is, excuse me, if you don't have eight scholarship players to compete, then you can beg out or you do beg out. And so you can do the math of how many scholarship players uh, must have been going for, for Florida to cancel and for Mississippi State to cancel the, 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 the women's game that would open their season. But um, uh, the good part about this, I, I think you're going to find well, – I think we're going to find out that quarantine time is going to be cut in half. Um, it's going to be from 10 to 5 eventually. I mean, that's going to be announced. I think it has been announced uh, relative to some other conferences, the ACC, I believe has done that already. Um, and then, and then if you're asymptomatic, if you're, if you test and you're asymptomatic, you're going to be able to play. So, uh, I would imagine, uh, you know, I, I'll kick myself for saying this probably, but Florida is scheduled to open the, uh, at home, their SEC home schedule next week against Alabama. That's a pretty tough opener when yeah. you're coming out of COVID. Um, and, and then have to have, have to kind of take that on uh, with, with guys just getting back and where have you having not been able to practice. Um, it's not exactly a built-in excuse. It's reality. These players need to practice. And you hope all these other schools are adhering to these same rules that Florida is, by the way, because I haven't heard any other SEC men's schools that have, that have been hit by this, this COVID epidemic, but I know what it's going to be like when these guys have been sick and they come back and all of a sudden have to practice. I go back to last year, excuse me, in the NCAA tournament, Virginia had to shut down their program uh, in the middle of the ACC tournament after winning a game. And then they didn't practice, I think, for eight days and then opened. I think there were four seed opened against the 13th seed and lost. I think my, I think it was Ohio, U beat them or whatever. But uh, 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 they didn't practice. They, they didn't practice from the day they got shut down. They never practiced until they played a game the next time. And wow. you need to practice regardless of who you're going to play. And it's certainly going to be a, t- a tough situation for Florida coming back without having practice and take on Alabama, which is defending its SEC tournament champion, defending uh, SEC regular season champion, uh, is, a, is, a, is a top 10 team with one of the best recruiting classes in the country. But uh, good measuring stick early on in the season, but not the, it won't be the ideal circumstances for Florida. Yeah, well, hopefully next week we will have games to talk about and the SEC schedule will be underway. Uh, so we will keep our fingers crossed and look forward to that. Uh, switching gears now to our PAT, obviously the, the entire sports world is talking about the loss of John Madden. Um, ironically enough, they, they just ran the documentary about his life on Christmas Day. Uh, and then three days later, we find that, that he passed away at, at 85 unexpectedly. Um, but it made me think about broadcasters. Obviously, that's how I know John Madden, and people younger than me just know him as uh, the guy whose name is on the video game. Uh, you guys remember him when he coached, and even earlier in his career. Uh, but it made me think about not just John Madden stories, but you know, broadcasters. Everyone loves John Madden, but it made me think about uh, favorite broadcasters. So, Chris, I'll, I'll let you start because I know you specifically have a, a Madden story as well to, to lead us into this. I think everyone has a Madden story that ever met him. I saw Steve Young tweeted a uh, his Madden story. He said the first time he met him, he comes up, "Hey kid, what do you comb? What do you comb your hair with? A pork chop?" You know, it's just uh, like. <laughs> and of course, Madden's always thinking about food. Or yeah, yeah. my Madden story. 
and I, we've talked about it. I covered the Bucks for uh, for ten years. Uh, um, and in two thousand two, the Bucks were playing a Monday night football game, and I had a few stories that I was working. I always like to talk to people with with grander perspectives about things. And I was doing the story on the the evolution of of the size of offensive linemen because when Madden played, his you know his biggest guy was Art Shell at two eighty five. Where anyway, the Bucks let me go out there and sit with him during a, a walkthrough. And I was I touched on this particular subject about offensive linemen and the evolution of their size. And that he said, you know, obviously Madden loves fat guys. He can't, he can't help himself talking about fat guys. I mean, how many times did he talk about Larry Allen, that great, uh, the great Dallas offensive guard all those years or whatever. But um, he said he had to closely monitor uh, Art Shell, who became a Hall of Famer. He had to monitor Art Shell's weight. Man said he could tell how hard Shell had trained during the offseason by looking at his thighs when he reported for camp. And his method wasn't scientific by any stretch of the imagination. He said, he goes, I'd have him face west kind of toward the late afternoon sun. And I'd crouch down on the ground. And if I couldn't see sunlight through his, through his legs, he was too fat and had to lose weight. So, I mean, that, <laughs> that, that, it's stuff like that, regular people stuff that made uh, Madden the greatest. Uh, and I mean, we can sit in there and talk about broadcaster or whatever, but Madden was an analyst. Okay. Yeah. And he took his, 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 his know-how from, being a coach on the sidelines. And, and by the way, if you read the obit, you'll find out Don Madden's winning percentage ranks first in NFL history for anybody who ever coached a hundred games. So that's a, a, a little known fact about him for all these people that were the, and Grant, he, he always had some tough luck in when it came to the playoffs and in the championship games, I think he was one and six, one and seven or something like that at one point until he finally won his Super Bowl season. Uh, but I mean, he, he a great coach, uh, great. I, I saw a thing on Twitter yesterday where um, he he broke down with the telestrator Troy Aikman trying to grow a beard. Did you all see that? I one? saw that. I did see yeah, that. He's yeah, circling no. around. He goes, "Here's a guy who's 29. He's doing. He's trying. He's trying like like heck to grow this beard. He just can't grow it. I mean, he starts circling around his chin. He goes, "You can see a little bit of it here." And and I mean, it's just the stuff like that just put him in a in a different kind of category. And I, I don't think we won't see anything like it and he he is my first he's probably everybody's first uh if, if you want me to name somebody else just because we're on it i mean i grew up in the early monday night football days and you love to hear uh don meredith and don meredith would make fun of howard cosell howard, howard cosell drove you nuts uh but frank gifford was the straight man howard cosell was the guy you hated and don meredith was kind of like the guy you kind of thought he was maybe like having a cocktail off and off the side or maybe ch- uh, drinking a beer while he was while he was calling the game but those are those are my memories of kind of being gleaned, you know, uh, and it, you could put them in different categories. So, uh, Al Michaels, great play-by-play guy. Yeah. Keith Jackson, maybe the greatest play-by-play guy of all time. But uh, guys like that, play-by-play guys, but analysts are the ones that bring the game to us and ex- are supposed to explain it to you as you know them. There's some very good ones on TV right now. Tony Romo specifically. I think Troy Aikman's really good. But John Madden was the the, the, the everyday guy. The guy in the Miller Lite commercials with Rodney Dangerfield back in the day. You probably don't remember those, Adam, but you can Google some of those old Miller Lite commercials and Madden showing up all over the place. Yeah. I mean, he, in terms of just uh, football analysts, I don't think, I think he's got his own category, to be honest with you. That's who everyone wants to emulate. Uh, and he was, he did it in a way that one thing that turns me off about today's, I think, just sports media in general is it, everybody's trying to develop their shtick. And a lot of it seems to be a little mean-spirited or over-the-top, you know. I think Madden was just himself. I mean, I've seen so many things from him, uh, people talking about him and writing about him the last 24 hours or whenever. 
his news broke about his death. And that's what makes him stand out. He was this was the guy that the guy you saw on TV on Sunday. That was the guy you bumped into on Tuesday as he drove across the country on his bus and stopped at a you know a rest stop or a gas station to have lunch. And uh, that that's what makes him so popular. The everyday guy could connect with him and. He was also very good at what he did. I mean, he changed. How many times when you say that someone truly changed an industry or a field, uh, that's when you know they're great. And like Chris said, I mean, he was a great coach. Uh, and people almost forget about that, at least the younger generation. And then he goes into this pop, pop culture icon uh, land of when he, you know, lend his name to a video game and did the voiceovers for it in the early years. And, that changed uh, video games to a large degree. And then, of course, what got me to thinking, like, I wonder if he retired before social media exploded. And, like, even doing something like Troy Aikman's beard or his Thanksgiving turkey illustration. He changed the Thanksgiving food industry with the, uh, the, the turducken. And that's what you think of as much as anything when you think about John Madden or those kind of moments. I wonder how those would play on social media because there's so much there's so many people on social media who are just negative to be negative and i wonder like something like him making fun of troy aikman's beard or doing his thanksgiving like obviously because we're fans of what he did i mean we would have laughed at it but there would also have been people out there trying to attack him and i'm kind of glad that he worked when he did because uh, it's it, it, he, he had a lasting impression that i think most people just enjoyed uh, without some of the disingenuous attack mode that you see on Twitter, no matter what anyone says. But, you know, he's he's in football. He's my top guy. And then, you know, you go across the other landscape uh, of just the broadcasting as a whole. I mean, it's amazing. I watched a video last night of him and Ben Scully working a couple of games together because I've always thought Ben Scully is my all-time favorite play-by-play guy as a baseball Keith Jackson is college football to me, so I love him. But, I mean, how, how would you like to – you didn't know it at the time because they only worked, I think, three or four games together. But Ben Scully and John Madden calling games together back in 1979 uh, when Madden first entered the broadcast booth. And uh, I haven't – I didn't see that documentary uh, on Fox uh, on Christmas Day, but I, I made a point to record it. It's playing again this week. So I'm going to record it and watch it because I'm sure I'll learn some more stuff about him. But, yeah, one of a kind, man. He He's a trailblazer, and uh, that's why his death has received such attention as it has. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, again, for people even you know younger like me, if, I don't know if I still count as young. I guess to some people I am relative to you guys. Uh, but, yeah, you remember Madden when he was still working and still, you know, he never really lost his step. I mean, he stepped away, but it's not like he, he wasn't great anymore. It's hard to have three phases of your career and to be awesome in every single one of them and in some cases establish an entire industry, uh, which you could argue he did in, in the last two. He defined what being an analyst was and he certainly defined uh, the football video game culture we have today. So truly one of the greats. I'm Scott also going to be watching the documentary. I taped it. I haven't gotten to it yet, but obviously now a little more urgency to, to see it so I can better participate in this conversation. And, re- and remember, he retired and he was, what, 42? Yeah, he so, was young. Yeah. So, yeah, so, coach, so how yeah. many, yeah, as a coach, so how many more games could he have won? 
uh, for the Raiders and, and or, or for if he ever want and never entertained the idea of, of, of coming back out of retirement or what have you. So yeah, that's true. amazing. Amazing. Well, that's a good way for us to, to wrap up 2021. Again, we hope to start 2022 by talking about basketball. Hopefully the, uh, the COVID allows for that, but in the meantime, happy new year to both of you guys and uh, look forward to doing this next week in a new year. Thanks Adam. Happy new year, Adam. If you were to sketch out a poster child to represent the ideals of your program, it's hard to imagine it looking much different from Damian Pierce. Between his affable nature and hardworking mentality on and off the field, you simply can't do much better, and there's no doubt Gator Nation will badly miss the Georgia native. We spoke to Damian just before the Gasparilla Bowl to reflect back on his career and some of the highlights, the best of which likely came on senior day against the Seminoles, an experience he remembers in great detail leading up to the game. I was kind of stuck in limbo from that Wednesday to actual game day because, like, you know, Monday I wasn't really thinking about it. I'm just trying to get ready and trying to get prepared. But, you know, around Wednesday, you know, all the installs are in. The game plan's kind of set. You kind of got an idea what you guys are going to do Saturday. So when the Wednesday is kind of that part of the week where, okay, I start getting ready for the game, you know, start envisioning what I'm going to do, you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was kind of like, oh, man, like, yeah, I know it's my last game, but it doesn't feel like my last game, you know. So Saturday comes, you know, we do the Gator walk, walk down. You know, as soon as I, you know, as soon as I get off that bus, I'm like, holy crap, this is my last one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yo, this is really like my last Gator walk. You know, this, you know, 27 finna be out. <laughs> and then, you know, we do the Gator walk, go to the locker room, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I really slow. That that was a real slow. That, that I, that's one thing I can't say. It was real slow. Like, like the kickoff couldn't come fast enough. You know, the senior ceremony couldn't come fast enough. Everything felt like it was moving so slow. But uh, you know, once we did the senior day ceremony, you know, I got to see my family. I got to see my friends. You know, just see, you know, my fellow seniors do the same thing with their families. You know, it it, it was a surreal moment, but it's definitely a moment I'm gonna remember forever. And then. You know, we get to the game, you know, the rest of history, you know, topped it off, you know, probably one of the best plays I made here <laughs> that didn't count, you know, and then, you know, just ended off, you know, just ended off with a win over FSU at home in the swamp. You know, I, th- I don't think I couldn't have written a better end of my story in that aspect. But, um, yeah, man, seeing that it was definitely full of, you know, filled with different emotions, you know, but I wasn't really sad. You know, it was kind of like a, it was definitely bittersweet, but, uh, I walked up with a smile on my face. I didn't. I I, I thought I was gonna cry, but I didn't cry. Hmm. I almost did when I hugged my mama, but uh, I held them back. <laughs> I had to <laughs> back. But uh, yeah, just overall, man, just it was just a great day. I'm just gonna remember that day as you know a great day because I was just genuinely, you know, just living in the moment. I was just genuinely living in the moment. Mm-hmm. Now I imagine when you started the day, you didn't know that you would become a meme by the end of it. Um, I'm talking about the, the play that you just mentioned when your, when your helmet came off and just kept driving in the end zone. Uh, what, what was going through your mind on that play? Like, can, can you, can you even lock into like what was going through your head? Cause it's, it's like what it happens in four or five seconds, but then it's talked about forever and slowed down. But in the moment, I'm sure you're not really thinking about it that much. Man, in the moment, you know, great push by the O-line, you know, I just really press, I really press all the way to the line of scrimmage, you know. Saw a cut back, took it, broke a tackle, helmet off. <laughs> <laughs> helmet off. So at this point, you know, once I look back up, 
you know, the goal line, maybe what, three, four yards away. I don't hear a whistle. Everybody <laughs> else still coming to tackle me. <laughs> so still on, you know, I give a little shove off the, off the defender that pulled my helmet off any initially break away from that. I'm like, I can go score. I don't hear no whistle. You know, everybody's still coming. You know, this still live football. On, on, on the grass, it's live football. Like, mm-hmm. that's what people don't understand. Like, on the field, everything was live. Like, I'm still a runner. They still defenders, you know. And I see goal line. So, you know, I go score. You know, that's good. That's, that's just my natural instinct. I'll do it. A, if I if I had to do it 100 more times, I'll do it 100 more times. <laughs> like, the same exact way, same exact scenario. Just playing ball how I play ball. You know, physical. You know, relentless, you know, with and with emotion, you know, that's just how I play the game of football. That's just how I look at the game of football, you know. And then, you know, everybody got their different ways of playing, but um, you know, mine's hard nosed, gritty, and you know, I, I just genuinely love it, you know. So it wasn't no second doubting or, you know, second guessing about going across the goal line to score, you know, that's just that's just how I play. Right. Did you did you know the rule? But at the moment, just didn't process it, or or did you not, or did you really not know that that it was a, a dead play? I mean, <laughs> like after, like you got to think about it. Like, okay, yeah, I can sit here and say the rule is when a player helmet comes off, the play is blown dead. Right at the spot where the ball carry him was taken off, and that's where the ball will be spotted. It's easy to say that on paper, sure, but. Live officiating, live game. You know, the whistle didn't get blown until I crossed the goal line. Hmm. Because if it was blown, I wouldn't even win. Like, even my would right. stop. Right, right, right. So, like, can you really blame me for keep going? No. You know, but, like, at the but at the end of the day, like I said, like, that's just how I play football. You know, I'm going to play whistle to whistle. And I ain't hear the, I ain't hear the whistle until <laughs> I got across the goal line. So, in my book, that's a touchdown every day. But, you know. <laughs> So you know, it had a lot of similarities to the the Earl Everett play from the the 2006 title game, which at that point uh, that did count. That rule didn't exist yet. That um, had you seen that play before? Did you make the connection, or did only afterwards did people say, "Hey, there was actually a really famous play in Gator history where something similar happened." Yeah, man. I, I mean, I've seen it before. Like, like I know the play. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. But like in the moment, I'm not thinking. Oh, I'm gonna be Earl Everett 2.0. <laughs> yeah, you feel me? <laughs> I'm just playing ball, man. And you know, it's it's cool to see stuff like that come around full circle for get for the Gators. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Okay, you know, it's low key kind of creepy to see you know the parallels it has, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, you know, I just I just figured like that, that just two guys at the end of the day, it's just two guys playing playing the game they love, man, and giving everything they got. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, did you hear from Earl Everett after the play? Did you ever connect with him about it? No, I don't think so. But and, and if he did, I'm sorry, Earl. I, I ain't <laughs> see it, Earl. I'm so sorry, bro. It was such a big moment, especially on you know on on Twitter, and fans were so excited about it. Who who do you remember hearing from? Any like any any big names that you uh, that you got to hear from? You're like, oh man, that's pretty cool. Not off the top of my head, but bro, I got tagged in so much stuff, bro. <laughs> like literally just. Just a blur at one point, you know. I I just get so caught up, you know, all the notifications, all the messages, you know, stuff stuff definitely gonna get lost. But I'm pretty sure, like, I seen when they tagged me, you know, in the story or mentioned me in the story, or whatever. And you know, it was a you know, a thank you, bro. Appreciate you, bro. You know, I mm-hmm. I watched you growing up, bro. Like you feel me? 
Yeah. Like stuff like that. But um, to sum it all up, you know, it's, it, I appreciate everybody. You know, I appreciate all the fans. And I'm glad I can give them something to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad, you know, I can show that form, you know, show former Gators that, you know, we still got some grit, man. You know, That's we right. still, uh, you, you know. <laughs> So when when you think back, I know this is you know you're you're at that point now where you get to ask a lot of questions about you know the the journey and coming full circle. When you think back to when you were a freshman coming on campus, um, what do you how do you think you've grown the most during that time, freshman to senior? How have you grown the most and, and changed? Mm, honestly, bro, I, I've grown like mentally, bro, because you know football, you know it's, it's it's easy, you know playing on the grass is the easy part, right? Mm-hmm. The hard part, or you know, the part you know that gets a little tricky, is what happens behind the scene. You know, what the fans don't see. You know, right. the off-season workouts, the having to wait your turn, or not knowing the playbook, and you know, trying to get, you know, trying to grasp that, and then you add on, add all that up together, and then throw school on top of it, and you know, it it can get hard, it can get stressful at times, but in those moments, you know, I've grown to. You know, appreciate a lot of little things. You know, I've grown to become a better. I, I just become a better person, personally, mm-hmm. out of everything I went through. You know, I tried to learn from everything I went through. I, I tried to keep a little bits and pieces, you know, and take it here or apply it to this part of my life or apply it here and, um, you know, just live life, bro. You know, because at the end of the day, bro, it can get taken away. And, um, mm-hmm. all you know, all we're going to have is memories at one day, you know. Yeah really just living in the moment, bro, just appreciating everything as it comes, you know. If I go through a hardship, you know, I just, I got to a point where I believe it was my best interest to learn from it. You know, everything's a lesson. So I just tried to learn from everything and, you know, just grow as a player on and off the field. Who would you say has been your biggest mentor over the course of your Gator career and why? Uh, Definitely early on, Scarlett and Piran. Definitely Scarlett and Piran early on. You know, those guys really set the blueprint for me, you know, mm-hmm. as far as taking off the field stuff to the field. So, like, just because I'm not, like, say like say it's spring ball or it's fall camp, right? Like, they made me realize, like, you know, you planting your seeds in the spring, in the summer conditioning, in the winter conditioning, you know, to perform at that level. You know, I, it, was, it was a point where I was focused more on the football aspect rather than, you know, probably working out as hard as I can or as hard as I should or something. And, you know, seeing those guys grind and seeing, you know, the routines they had and, um, you know, the way they just handled their business, you know, it really – I took a lot of stuff from them and implementing it into my schedule, my rituals, you know, mm-hmm. and my daily regimens, you know, just just really seeing somebody, you know, do what you want to do, you know, as far as, you know, going to the league, you know, playing for the Gators on Saturdays, you know, you know, being that guy in the classroom, you know, they really set a great example for me to follow. And um, I appreciate them for that. Hmm. Yeah, I think the, the beauty of uh, of college athletics is you have this freshman to senior growth. And then you've got guys that are helping you on your way up. And then you turn around, you help the younger guys on their way. So as you became the seasoned guy and, and took what you did from Scarlett, from P. Ryan, who do you think you've had the biggest impact on in terms of a younger player within the program? If you go at... All the young guys on that team who's had an impact on them, they'll probably say DP simply because, you know, that's just my personality. You know, I taught everyone. I got a relationship with all the guys on the team, all the guys on the staff, whether it's EQ, training room, weight room, upstairs administrative. You know, I got a relationship with everybody. I hope, you know, hopefully I've, I've impacted all the young guys, you know, try to lead by example, you know, show them guys, you know, you can have fun while still working hard. 
It just you just gotta know when to balance the two, you know. Mm-hmm. And the way I play the game, you know, I just try to you know show the guys like you know if you're passionate about something, everything else is gonna come with it. You know, if you put your passion into football, you feel you're gonna just naturally work hard in the weight room. You're gonna grind in the classroom. You know, if it means that much to you, you know, if you're passionate about something, it means something to you. So if it means something to you, you know, if you really care about it enough. You know, everything's going to be all right. You no, know, everything's going to work out. Just keep working hard and um, stay in your craft. And hopefully uh, I impacted everyone I came across in a positive light. You know, it seems like you've got a, a lot of people you could probably turn to in a pinch if you needed them. But I'm curious, as you move on, you know, guys always talk about there's, you know, this particular teammate that I know will always be there for me. This is a guy I can call when I have any kind of problem. Who is that? Let's say you're in a bind a couple years from now. Who is the teammate you know you could call who would drop everything to be there for you? Oh, it's a couple guys, man. It's a couple guys. But uh, if I just had, if I just had a, like one, you know, probably Henry. Hmm. We've been roommates since day one, up until last semester. You know, when wow. we when we just wanted to have, a, you know, a crib to ourselves. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just wanted to have our own, you know, spots. You know. Right. And even and even then, you know, I can open my front door and see his house from where I'm at. So like <laughs> not not to, n- never too far away. You feel me? Like that's my yeah. you know, that's been my guy. You know, I love Emery. I love Trina. You know, they're like an extended family. And, um, you know, it's vice versa. You know, if he in the jam, he you know he can call me. And if I'm in the jam, I know I can call him. Hmm. You know, if it's even if it's as simple as, you know, hey, bro, you got some bread at the house to. I done broke down on the side of the road. I need you to come pick me up. You know, any, you know, everything, you know, I, I know I call him. He know he call on me. Thinking over your career, what are maybe the top three moments? Or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's four or five things when you think about the time you've been a Gator that just instantly popped to the, the top of your mind. Ooh, uh, the whole four years, huh? Okay, well, number one, probably the helmet run. Okay, duh. <laughs> okay, that's number one, probably. Uh, a close second would probably be my freshman year kickoff return. You know, kickoff, I blew a guy up, got crowd, I dropped in <laughs> first game. Uh, a third would maybe be seeing P. Ryan's performance firsthand in the, in the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fourth would maybe be LSU – my sophomore year or freshman? I want to say freshman year because Scarlett was there. That was the one of the latest game I've ever been to. And probably number five would probably be seeing P. Ryan break that 80 yard against Palmer. Just feeling the electricity and, you know, just, just seeing someone I look up to be successful, you know, seeing one of my brothers be successful, just making a huge play that's going to go down and get it. So, you know, that's just always a great moment to be part of. A few honorable mentions. Oh, well, we're going honorable mentions. Are you, you're, you're digging no, deep I, into the well here. I like it. Oh, yeah. I got a lot, bro. I got a lot. Bro. <laughs> a few honorable mentions would probably be, honestly, this season, this whole season as a whole, you know, people might look at me and be look at me crazy and be like, why would you like this season? Well, because, you know, this, te- this season probably taught me a lot of stuff I needed to learn, you know, as myself, you know, as a player, you know. And, you know, just, you know, adversity teaches things that, you know, uh, easy life doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. I use the saying, you know, the valley teaches you stuff that the mountaintop doesn't, you know, and that's true because I've learned things about myself and um this year that I probably would have never learned or I've gone through things this year emotionally that I probably wouldn't have never gone through if we was, you know, in a different predicament, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm always grateful for, you know, 
learning things in life and trying to see the good in any bad situation. I imagine it would come from the list you just gave me, but what's the best environment that you've played in? It could be home, could be away, could be anywhere. The game environment that was just the, the most electric. Oh, SEC championship game. Easy. It, it's not so much the crowd, but I feel like us as a team, we were on a different, you know, vibe, you know, that game. And, you know, everyone was just so excited. You know, we were playing hard. You know, every, that's, that, that's a game I see everybody just let loose and leave everything on the field. What is the win that meant the most to you? If you had to pick one. This last one. Going out on really? top. Going out against FSU. You know, especially with what, with what this team has been through this year. You know, just to in, in, get bowl eligible. It was just so much on the line. And, you know, just, bro, this we needed this win, bro. We yeah. needed this last one. This is probably the, the only win that we probably needed. I'm sure there's there's a million answers to this. And I know sometimes when there's a lot of answers, it's hard to think of just one. Uh, but I'm just curious, maybe like a, a funny story from off the field, stuff that fans would never know about, um, but that you remember about whether it's being on the road or locker room or just just something funny with uh, with the, you know your, your teammates that, that you think Man, about. Man, look, I, I already look. Man, it was one year, bro. Them boys, like, we were, this was a phase where we were having, like, like food fights. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a team snack right before bed. Check. Man, you just seen, like, a couple guys come drenched with, like, smoothies on them, Gatorades on them, ketchup, mayonnaise, just all type of stuff. And, wow. then, you, and then out of nowhere, you just hear Coach Mullen call a emergency team meeting. And the topic of the meeting was who went in somebody's room <laughs> and drenched their bed with mayonnaise, Gatorade, and all types of shit. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just all type of stuff, bro. <laughs> That's probably like one of the funniest off-field memories, you know, as a team we got, bro. Was that the end of it or was there like retaliation? How did the – who started the food fight wars and then did it just end because Coach Bowen said uh, this this is done? Yeah, that was the end of that. That was definitely <laughs> the end of that. But uh, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> um, couple final things from you. Uh, what does it mean to you to be playing in the Senior Bowl? When you got that invitation, you know, what did that mean and, and what are your goals for that experience? Yo, you know, it's such an honor, bro. You know, especially, you know, just, just, you know, I'm I'm just glad that I can be, you know, a motivation to someone who's, you know, looking to follow my footsteps or follow the same path I'm on, especially in football. You know, football is such a big part of my community back home. And um, just seeing me, like, just seeing me even get invited to the bowl game is such a big thing to know everyone back at home. You know, they're so happy for me. They, they congratulate me, you know, it, it feel like I done went to the Super Bowl or something, man, but how much love I'm getting. But that's just how it is back home, man. It's all love. And, um, you know, anytime I do anything like score a touchdown, get a bowl game invite or, you know, just anything to add to my list of accolades, you know, they're, they're behind me. They're supporting me. And uh, I'm just glad that, you know, I can be someone from my hometown, my city, doing stuff in a positive light. And, um, you know, I can motivate you in a positive way. So the game is sponsored by Reese's. Um, I think it's pretty clearly Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, best candy of all time. Uh, but where do you stand on that? Give me like top three candies of all time. 
Ooh, top three. Uh, maybe it's five. Three may be, three may be okay, too limited. Okay. I'm going to give a top five no order because okay. my taste buds change. But not not even like a number one, though? Like if two through five, you don't have to order. But there's got to be a number one. Everybody's okay, got a number, number one, one. For me, candy-wise, a number one would definitely be them strawberry and cream little candies. I don't know. I don't even think they make them no more. They're going to change the package up or something. I'm not even sure I know what that is. You know, ooh, boy, you missing that. I sort of, I, I sort of know what you mean, but it, it feels like that'd be super low on the list. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of shocked by it. Bro, I'm telling you, bro. Anybody who, who, anybody who know what I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about. They like the strawberry and cream candies. Okay. I can eat a whole pack of them in 30 minutes. Not gonna lie. All right. So number one's a disappointment. Give me two through five. No order though. No order. Two through five. No order. Something I'll go in the store and buy probably a cookie cream Hershey. I'm, I'm uh, back on board with you. Uh, Reese's Twix. Okay, yes, yes. But the only thing about my Twix, though, see, this is the thing about me and um, Reese's Cups. See, this is why I don't really eat Reese's Cups, because I, I, I eat the peanut butter Twix. See, okay, so you're getting a little bit of both there. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I got the best you. of both worlds with that right now. Have you had the cookies and cream Twix? Uh-uh, I ain't had oh man, yet. that would that sounds like all your stuff all rolled into one. See, look, you got me on. See, look, I'm I'm always open trying new stuff though. I definitely go give it a try, bro. You need to try the cookies and cream Twix. Yeah, I might go. You know, I might go after this after this podcast over honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, four and five would probably be. Oh, oh, I'm tripping. The uh, the sour straws that's cut up in the bag. Oh, like, the like mini. The short, okay, yeah, yeah, the, the short mini, straws. Yeah, all blue, all blue. Okay. And then airhead of streams, bro. That's my that's my rotation right there. That's okay. my rotation. You got me. You had. I was kind of. I didn't know where we were going after the strawberry cream stuff. But oh, then the we only, got, but, we but got the only back thing on board. About, let me tell you why the strawberries and creams are number one. It's because one, they good to me, and two, it's like I remember. It's like it's the memories in the sentimental value. That's true. Value behind, that's true. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's no, like I get, I get that. I get that. Yeah, you know, because I used to eat them at my grandma's house and stuff like that. You feel me? Because she was the only one who had them. I couldn't find them in the store or nothing. And she used to always have me her little job, whatever. She knew how to keep you coming back, right? Yeah, yeah she used to always have me her purse during church, so I'd be <laughs> quiet. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of the next step for you, getting ready for the draft, the NFL. Um, who who has been a resource to you for that? I don't know if, if you've already been, you know, doing a lot of work preparing for that or if you're not quite there yet mentally. But as you as you get ready to go through that process, who's going to be a resource for you during that? Everybody, bro. Everybody helps in different ways, you know, you know, as as far as, you know, emotional support goes, you know, of course, my family, you know, and then as the business side comes into along, you know, comes along, you know, I have a couple uncles who, you know, are entrepreneurs and, um, you know, live in that world. And in the mot- in the motivation aspect, you know, I just got I just got my city behind me. You know, I got my little brothers and I got my big brothers, you know, always in my ear, like, yo, you you training? Like what you doing? Like you feel me, keeping me, you know, asking the questions that I need to ask myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, every you know, it's it's, it's a team, it's a team sport, bro. It's a team sport, bro. Because mm-hmm. it's it's so much valuable information that everyone has, you know, individually that I may need to lean on. Like, you know, one day I might. I might be out of it, so I, I might need to call my mama. You know, just get me back on track. Mm-hmm. One day, you know, I might be I might be being lazy and get a call from my brother, and um, he be like, "Yo, what you doing? You feel me? You ain't training or nothing? You know, snap back into it, get back on the grind. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, different. You know, different days come with different challenges, but uh, you know, 
that's part of it, bro. You know, you got to embrace it and, um, you know, handle it as you go and um, just stay consistent, bro. Well, Damien, we know that Gator Nation will be behind you 100% as you head to the next level as well. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for the memories, and we, we wish you the best of luck. Of course, man. Thank you, man. Hey, and thank you, Gator Nation. Appreciate y'all for real. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.